welcome to Clear Thinking Out Loud, written and narrated by Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge. Hi, I'm Mark Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and welcome to How to Treat Compulsive Shopping, Five Steps to Help Your Client Escape the Spending Trap. Oscar Wilde said, I can resist anything except temptation. It is easy to resist temptation when it's not there. We can all eat sparingly and avoid refined sugar when we're stuck on a desert island. Now you might, if you're as ancient as me, recall those distant, digitally unsimulating times before you could access your bank account at 2am and splash the cash with a mere flick of your avaricious index finger. And actually, I'm, I'm so ancient I can recall not being able to shop on a Sunday That's right, actually not being able to buy stuff. You know, some shops didn't open all day, which is a kind of historical horror story to tell young folk. But now, of course, we have the luxury of being able to send ourselves to the verge of bankruptcy without the inconvenience of having to wait for these stores to open. I suspect this increased opportunity and ease of spending is the reason compulsive buying has increased. It does seem that it's more of a problem for young women we check out reference one of the written article for this and reports estimate that it may affect around five percent of people in industrialized countries so shopping addiction compulsive shopping and this may may not sound huge but it amounts to many millions of people who can't control their spending so take june i'll call her uh, a client for example so june came to see me for a film session for uncommon practitioners tv and for almost two years she'd been coming home from work sitting on the couch and surfing for bargains. And if you've seen the session, you'll know she was spending up to a thousand pounds a month on anything and everything, including nail varnish, cleaning products, stationery and shoes, uh, stuff that she didn't even particularly need. I asked her where the buzz was and she told me she got a thrill from hunting for a bargain and a second buzz when the items were actually delivered to her home. Okay, so it was a double dopamine hit. But she got no pleasure from actually owning the items themselves. In fact, for the most part, she didn't even seem to use them. Okay, so it's purely the buzz of hunting and getting a bargain and having the goods delivered. They were good for cultivating cobwebs and not much else, these products. She didn't use them. The problem had in some ways changed over time as well. She told me that she never used to send shoes that didn't fit her back, but now she did send them back because she, she's becoming more aware of her financial situation. So the pattern had changed a bit. I asked her what else her hard-earned money might be used for other than compulsive shopping, and she told me she could spend it on her grandchildren or use it for experiences rather than just for diminishing the storage space in her home. So here are five ways I helped June that you might find useful when treating clients, not just for compulsive shopping, but for any compulsive behavior, in fact. So number one, when did it start and what is the need? That it's trying to fulfill. So June's bank account had been leaking cash through these splurges for three or four times a week for around two years. So I asked her, you know, what happened two years ago? And she told me that she'd begun to compulsively shop around that time uh, when she'd started a new job. So I asked her about the job and she told me it was extremely stressful and involved some horrible things, but she couldn't tell me about or anyone about uh, for confidential reasons. So when I asked her if she tranced out or escaped when shopping, she said that she did. She really sort of recognized that. Uh, always ask when out of control spending began and what, if anything, changed 
during that time. So often a problem pattern is a sloppy and unconscious way of trying to meet a primal emotional need. It's an unconscious attempt that, you know, trying to meet a need. In June's case, it provided a sense of escape from the realities of her job and a fleeting sense of meaning and excitement. Surfing for bargains felt meaningful because it felt as if she was completing a hunt or making a killing, so to speak. But what other needs might compulsive shopping be sloppily trying to fulfill? Number two, what missing needs is the behaviour seeming to meet? So June told me, without my even having to ask, what she felt she knew was missing in her life. I need to be connected to people more and also nature, she said. So we talked about how she might meet those needs in more legitimate ways, because certainly June needed something real and fulfilling to replace the gap in her life that not compulsively shopping would create. So once we got a sense of what might be missing and how the compulsive behavior might be hijacking that need, then we can begin to work with our clients to find healthier and in June's case, cheaper ways of meeting those needs. So next we need to know exactly how the problem works. So number three, teach me how to do your problem. So when working with any compulsive behavior, I want to know what when it happens, for how long, and what makes it stop. Think about it this way. Why don't people just binge or spend forever? What gives first? Energy levels, stomach capacity, bank balance, or does the enjoyment finally evaporate? So why does any behavior stop? We need to help the client help us understand their problem to the extent that we could do it as well, so to speak. So we do this by asking them for the specific steps of the pattern in order almost as though asking for instructions how to do something. And this does two things. You know, firstly, it helps the client inhabit their observing self to see the pattern from the outside, as it were, and thereby begin to gain some distance from it, start to detach from it a bit. It also gives you, the practitioner, steps to use when doing inner work with your clients, such as mindfulness or hypnosis. In June's case, I had her access each step hypnotically. Then I asked her to run the pattern out out of order so we could begin to derail the pattern. So helping the client detach from the problem pattern is really important. And we can go further in that regard as well. So number four, remove the problem from the client's core identity. As when treating any addiction, we can begin to defamiliarize the compulsive shopping by placing it firmly outside of and separate from who the client is essentially. It's much easier to detach from a behavior when it feels alien from who we really are. So if a person wraps up their whole identity in being an addict, how can they ever leave addiction behind? Because it's who they are. The addiction has nested within their core identity to the extent that it's become who they are. And we need to help extricate the pattern from the person. So we might ask our client uh, how the behavior pattern cons them into handing over their health or their cash, or as with smoking, for example, sometimes their very life. How does it con them? How does it convince them? Our language then externalizes the pattern. How does smoking lie to you? What tricks does gambling play on you to convince you to throw money away? How do massive corporations get you to finance their profits for nothing real in return? How does that happen? The use of metaphor can make this even more powerful and is perhaps one primary use of storytelling through the ages. So with June, I helped her detach from the pattern by suggesting that she had had enough of being pushed around electronically, that she could bypass the muggers, the pop-ups, and stand up 
to see through all the manipulative sales techniques. Okay, I use the age-old metaphor of the siren call, suggesting that her bank account was being punctured and we need to stop the leak. I also suggested rather bluntly that she no longer had to support huge online corporations. They'd survive without her charitable donations, as I framed them. Ultimately, I wanted to detach June enough so that she could feel a sense of control in the moment each time it, the out-of-control spending, threatened to push her around into another needless purchase. We can also use a bit of time travel. So tip number five, give them a sense of future past. So I like to evoke that sense, I think, that we've all had of looking back at something and wondering, what on earth did I see in her or him? Or why did that seem so important to me at the time? It seems like nothing now. So something or someone that seemed like the world, impossibly attractive or compelling, can come to seem, uh, in hindsight, to be hardly worth any attention at all. So most people have experienced something of this, or at least understand the pattern of that. So towards the end of the film session with June, I evoked that pattern with her, uh, then had her hypnotically progress to a future point and look back from that distant future at the out-of-control spending that used to play her as though it was something she'd left behind a long time ago, as if how could I possibly have done that? In this way, we can help give the client a sense of having been free of the problem for a long time, to the point where it feels normal to be free of it, and they can barely understand how they ever did it at all, and we can do this hypnotically. So temptation is all around, but when it subverts the fulfilment of our real needs and lays our potential to waste, we need to find ways to master our impulses. And we need to help our clients do the same. So I hope you found that useful. I'm Art Tyrrell of Uncommon Knowledge, and if you'd like to subscribe to my email newsletter, you can find it over at unk.com, that's unk.com slash blog. Mm-hmm.